the boy went down by the lake, he could feel the sinew in his coat. Who will help me to plant the corn? And it was Chanticleer who was king of the farmyard. We love stories! It's time for the apple seed, filled with stories for you and your family. All kinds of tales from all kinds of tellers. Tall tales, fairy tales, folk tales, personal and family tales, and more. I'm Sam Payne, your host. It's such a pleasure for me every time that you tune in and bring these stories into your home and into your heart. And of course, we always hope that the stories that we bring you here on the show spark memories and thoughts for you that you can share as stories with the people that you love around the kitchen table or the living room. That kind of storytelling can bring families together. That's what stories can do. And we've got some great ones for you today. We've got stories mostly today about birds. We're going to have a conversation with great storyteller Pippa White about a dog, too, but uh, that's just in the middle of an episode filled with stories from Susan Strauss. She'll tell us the story of the loon mother, and Jim Weiss, the story of Chanticleer the rooster, and Carrie Sue Aviar will tell us a bilingual version of the story of the little red hen, La Gallinita Roja. And it's going to be great. We're going to have a great time with all of these stories today, and we're glad to have you with us. We're going to begin with a story that will be introduced to us by one of our assistant producers, Kendra Hanna. Kendra, it's such a pleasure to have you with me. Great to be here. You know, we're going to hear a Susan Strauss story here. Susan Strauss uh, tells uh, these really kind of wonderful renditions of animal stories, right, and stories about the natural world. Tell us about this story we're going to hear. Yeah, so this story is called The Loon Mother, and it is about a blind, motherless young boy who lives with his grandmother. And one day, she kicks him out of the house until he can prove to her that he can contribute uh, by bringing home some meat. Hmm. And so he goes out and sits by the lake with a trap that he set, and he hears the call of a mother loon that he has caught in his trap, uh, calling for her children. And mm. what's he going to do? <laughs> <laughs> a loon, of course, if you think about a loon, those the, the, the loons are those those kind of amazing looking birds, right? With this 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 the, these kind of shining eyes and 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 this really kind of s- sort of symmetrical uh, black and white plumage, a lot of them, you know, mm-hmm. these, these beautiful birds. The most beautiful calls. Yeah, yeah, with these amazing voices, yeah. So The Loon Mother, again, is the name of this story, and uh, the storyteller is Susan Strauss, and we're happy to bring it to you here on The Appleseed. with his grandmother, at least he thought she was his grandmother. It had always been that way for as far back as he could remember. He had been born blind, and his mother had died when he was very little. At least that's what his grandmother had always told him. So now 
He just had his mother's necklace, closely strung, long, white shell beads. And all he could do was sit by the lake every day and run them through his fingers. That was the way it was. He couldn't remember anything else. And that was the way his grandmother told it. At least, he thought she was his grandmother. And so it was. He lived with her, and she fed him, and kept house, and hunted for their food, and mended, and sewed, and made their clothes, and cooked, and cleaned, and cut ice, and collected berries, and complained, and complained. Can't you do anything? You are worthless, worthless since the first day I took you in. And then one day, she kicked him out of the lodge. Get out! Don't come back until you have caught some meat. The boy went down by the lake. He could feel the sinew in his coat, and he began to pull on it and pulled on it, and from his coat he pulled enough sinew to make a trap. With his fingers, he quickly knitted and stitched, knitted and knotted and knitted and stitched a trap, and then set it in the reeds close to the water and hid himself in quiet. When he first heard something struggling in the trap, he couldn't believe it, and then he heard it calling out. was a female loon, and her call echoed out to something or someone across the lake. He was happy to snatch her from his trap, and she called out across the lake. He knew this was the time of year that loons had young ones. But also he knew this, this was his chance to prove his worth to his grandmother. And the loon called out across the lake. He knew that if he took the mother, this would be the end of the chicks. If there were any, but but if he let her go, he would he would probably go hungry for days, or even freeze, if not tonight, tomorrow night. And the loon called out across the lake. He knew his grandmother would never take him back if he gave up the loon. And the loon called out across the lake. But he did. He set her in the water 
and she slipped away from him into the silence. But, but then he heard her swimming back to him. The loon mother, she called to the boy to climb upon her back. And then she dove with him down, down into the lake. He thought his body would burst from the depth and the cold. And then up, up, up to the lake's surface. And the boy now could see shades of light and dark where he had only seen darkness before. Then down, down, down into the depths, the loon mother dove with the boy, and once again he felt as if the depth would crush his body, and up, up, up to the surface. Now, now he could see distant shapes of rocks and trees on the lake's edge. And once again the loon mother, she dove with the boy down, down to the bottom of the lake. And once again he felt as if his body would just burst from the depth. But then up, up again to the lake's surface. And now he could see everything with perfect, clear sight. Still once more the loon mother dove with the boy down, down to the depths of the lake. But when they returned to the surface, he could see all as clearly as before. Only now he had a special sight. He could see the true nature of people. But he didn't know he had this special sight. He gave the loon mother his own mother's necklace as a gift for his new found sight. And you can still see this necklace on the loon's neck today. When the boy returned home, he saw at once the woman in his house was not his grandmother. He could see that she was an evil sorceress and that she had killed his mother and had blinded him at birth. At once he pushed her out of the lodge and shut her out into the cold. All through the night she screamed at him through the howling winds. Deep, deep in the night, she pleaded sweetly, promising to be good. But the boy held the door tightly against her. Then she cursed him, cursed him again and again, until the frozen world silenced her. When the boy opened the door the next morning and stepped out, an owl dove at his head before flying off. And he knew that was her.
Then he sat down by the lake, and across the lake the loon mother called out. I am here, he said. I am here. The Loon Mother is the name of that story told for you by Susan Strauss with that beautiful bird-like musical accompaniment, right? I love that so much. I, th- I just think it's so pretty, and I have a very soft spot in my heart for birds, um, especially water birds like, like the loon, and that's probably because I grew up um, on the coast uh, with all of those birds going on yeah. field trips to the estuaries, um, but I, I just love watching them fly and land and take off from the water, and I, I especially love osprey. And where I live, they always like to make their nests up on telephone poles where they, where they shouldn't be. And I'll go on walks with my dad, and he'll always point them out to me, like, "Oh, look, there's an osprey nest." <laughs> I think about the. I think when I was a kid, I thought that the bird, the loon bird, was uh, the name of that bird was related to the word that we used to describe somebody who's crazy. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're a loon or you're loony, right? Uh-huh. When in reality, the, the, even, even though if you see the word loony written, L-O-O-N-Y, it's really a corruption or a shortening of the word lunatic. To, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, meaning too, too, too much influenced by the moon, right? The, loon, the Luna. I didn't yeah. know that either. Yeah, that's wow, where I'm that learning all from. sorts of things today. <laughs> the <laughs> educational power of a Susan Strauss story, right? And the, and the conversation that ensues. Susan Strauss, again, tells all kinds of terrific animal stories and stories about the natural world. And those stories are so much. I, I always think that stories about animals are really stories about people. Yeah. <laughs> You know, mm-hmm. we tell stories about animals to give faces and names and, and, and illustrations to some of the things that we think and do and some of the ways that we behave. So there's always a great lesson in an animal story and probably something worth talking about as you heard that story and want to talk about, uh, about some of the thoughts that occur to you as you listen to a story like that around your kitchen table or your living room. Such a pleasure for me to talk about that story, to listen to that story and talk about it with Kendra Hanna, who, again, as she said, as you said, Kendra, grew up on the coast and uh, had all kinds of visibility to these wonderful birds coming in and interacting with the ocean and the shore. And and uh, 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 that's, a, that's a lucky place to be. It really is. Yeah. <laughs> Pleasure to have had you, Kendra. And there's a lot more coming up on The Appleseed. You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne. 
It's such a pleasure for me to be with you on today's episode of The Appleseed. In just a little bit, you're going to hear from Jim Weiss. He'll tell the story of Chanticleer, the rooster. And you'll also hear a bilingual version of The Little Red Hen. You know that story. You'll hear La Gallinita Roja, told for you by Carrie Sue Aviar. But because we know that the sharing of memories can sometimes be the spark that ignites a thought or a memory for you that you can share as a story with the people that you love, we want to bring you a memory of mine. This is a kind of a bird memory of sorts about a magpie. It's today's entry in the Radio Family Journal. The Radio Family Journal with Sam Payne. A tiny little story for you and your family. Right when you need it. On the Appleseed. When I was a kid, our house sat on a country road, with houses to the east of us and houses to the south of us, but to the north of us and to the west of us, there was nothing but horse pasture and vacant field. And beyond the field to the north, there were apple trees, hundreds of them, acres and acres of them. It had been that way for a hundred years. Nobody's apple operation was enormous in my hometown, but when I was a kid, apples were all around us, always. And I remember an autumn day, me and Aaron Rhodes walking on the dirt roads that were the only way to get along that side of town. And we're about 13 years old, Aaron and I, and we're walking parallel to a wire fence separating the road from the orchard. The trees are heavy with fruit, and we've got no agenda at all. These are days when going for a walk along the apple orchards was something you might do for fun with a friend, and that's what we were doing. Dusk is kind of settling down on us, and One by one, the lights of our town are winking on. And suddenly, in the light of the waning day, we hear the urgent flapping of feathers. And it goes on for a while. It's coming from inside the orchard. And we go to the fence, and we put our hands on it, and we peer through the trees. And a couple of rows of trees away, we can see it. It's a box, a wooden frame, built taller than a person. Taller, at least, than either Aaron or me. And the wooden frame is covered in chicken wire. There's a door in one side of the frame, the size of a regular door into a regular room. It's the roof that's unusual. Most of the roof is made of chicken wire, but on one side of the roof, there's a hole, and the hole is marked by long wires around the hole, bending toward the inside of the box made of chicken wire in a kind of funnel shape, and inside the box, hopping around on the ground, crashing intermittently into the chicken wire, is a magpie. The box, of course is a bird trap. It's there to catch magpies. It doesn't kill them. In fact, as traps go, it seems a pretty humane one. It's pretty easy for us to see how it works. The bird flies into the box through the hole, but can't get back out the hole because of the wire funnel of which the bird is now on the sharp end. And the trap owner goes in through the door to gather the bird he's caught, and from there, who knows, who knows what the fate of that bird will be. There were magpies all over the place in my town when I was a kid. They ate the dickens out of fruit in the orchards, and they had a lot of human enemies for that reason. People called them trash birds. Me? I thought they were the coolest birds, the stark, exotic blocks of black and white in their feathers. I loved magpies. I didn't know then that they're super smart, magpies, and in fact, they're one of a few non-mammal species that can recognize themselves in a mirror. They're symbols of good luck and good fortune in East Asia. There are poems and songs and paintings about them in China. But in my hometown, they were nothing but trash birds. Anyway, I stand there 
watching this magpie caught in this trap. And next to me, I feel the wire fence shake. Aaron is going over. In a flash, he's jumped the fence and closed the distance between us and the trap. What are you going to do? I asked. I don't know, he said. I've never done anything like this before. A few seconds more, and he has opened the door of the trap. He stands with the door open, waiting for the magpie to get it and fly out the open door. He waits a long time. We both look around, sure the apple farmer is going to show up any minute. All of us kids had raised each other on legends of grumpy farmers who walked their orchards carrying rifles loaded with rock salt to shoot kids who trespassed. We had totally made this up, but we believed it with all our hearts. My heart is in my throat by now, and I stand lookout while Aaron bounds into the trap and proceeds to chase that terrified magpie around and around the inside of the trap, both of them making enough noise that I know if an apple farmer steps out from behind a tree with a rifle full of rock salt, I'll never even hear him. And in what seems like a half hour, but is probably a half minute, Aaron has his hands around the bird and carries him out of the cage and lets him go. The bird hops to the ground, then to a branch, and then into the sky. Aaron turns, shuts the door to the trap, and then jumps back over the fence, but not before plucking a couple of apples. He hands me one as he comes back over the wire. We felt like, I don't know, like superheroes, vigilante defenders of the helpless. There's no telling how much we traumatized that poor bird or how much damage to the farmer's crop we facilitated, not to mention the trespassing. We'd both grow up, I think, to be a little bit more conscientious about the causes we launched ourselves into and for what reasons. At least I guess that's how we grew up. I haven't seen Aaron Rhodes in decades. But that night, we munched on those stolen apples and shivered a little in the cooling evening and grinned the grin of a couple of guys who have just stuck it to the man, a couple of guys who had wings of their own of a sort. There was no feeling like it in the world for a couple of 13-year-olds walking home at dusk on the dirt road at the edge of town, looking over the neighborhood lights, winking on amid the acres and acres of apple trees. The Radio Family Journal of Sam Payne. A tiny little story for you and your family. Right when you need it, on the Appleseed. Thanks for joining us for that entry in the Radio Family Journal. There's a lot coming up. You're going to hear a story from Jim Weiss called Chanticleer the Rooster that you won't want to miss. But first, how about a conversation with a friend? Not so much a bird conversation as much as a canine conversation, a conversation about dogs. Here it is on the Appleseed. Great stories come into our lives in so many ways, through the films that we see, the books that we treasure, the meals that we share, the songs that we remember, and of course, the many things that happen to us that we share as stories from teller to listener, sometimes over generations and generations. And talking about some of the ways in which those great stories get down into our lives and the shape that they take once they're there is something that we love to do with friends here on The Appleseed. I'm thrilled to be joined in conversation by the wonderful storyteller Pippa White. She joins me from her home in Nebraska. You know, a lot of times uh, people who 
might have an impulse to share stories from their lives, uh, shrug their shoulders and wonder what there is to tell. You know, that's true. <laughs> and, that's and, true. And, I, and I've sometimes thought that one key to sort of opening your mouth and telling stories about your life is to tell stories of your life according to something that's sort of a common thread through your life. And I think if you were to tell the story of my life as a kid, you might be able to tell the story of my life according to the comings and goings of the various dogs in my mm -hmm. life. And dogs have been important to you too, haven't they, Pippa? I think we are blessed with our pets. But I do want to tell you about the first dog who wasn't really my dog. He was my brother's dog. But my siblings are quite a bit older than I am. My brother's nine years older than I am. My sister's six years older than I am. So I was truly the baby. So they went off to college and the dog kind of became mine because yeah. I was I was still home. I really want to talk about his old age because it was extraordinary. But I'll give you a little background. He was a mutt. I think they said he was half beagle and half cocker, but I don't think we ever really knew. He was a blonde dog, a medium-sized dog. And uh, when we got him, we thought that he was a she. And because he was blonde, we named him Blondie. Uh, and then when we realized Blondie was a, a male, so Blondie had to become Dagwood. So the dog's name was Dagwood. And he was just in every way an all around wonderful, perfect, good dog. You know what I mean? He was smart. He was loyal. He was a wonderful watchdog. He was gentle. He didn't bite. He was just he was a, a, a darling dog. However, when he was about 11, he suddenly showed signs of aging. He lost some energy. He uh, didn't eat as much. And he would even go into our hydrangea bushes and dig little holes and lie down in them. Mm. And my parents began to think, my goodness, you know, what is this? They took him to the vet, nothing wrong, just getting old. But we were moving that summer. I was 11 or 12 and we were moving from Sausalito, California, uh, across the bridge to San Francisco. And my parents even wondered, should we take this old dog, you know? I mean, yeah. I think they were really thinking maybe they should put him down, but they didn't. We moved to the city, I mean, 10 miles at the most. Yeah. And this dog got a new lease on life like you wouldn't believe. He went from being this this dying dog to being a puppy. It was really <laughs> miraculous. I was young enough that I still played with kids. I made friends on the block in my new neighborhood. The dog played with us. Uh, we had a coaster, like a sort of like a toboggan on skate wheels, and we would all pile on. The dog would run with us, things he hadn't done for months and months and months. We were one block away from a block full of, you know, stores and drugstores and sure. five and dimes. Yeah. And my mother would often send me, oh, run around the corner, darling, and get a loaf of bread or get a quart of milk, that kind of thing. What I began to do, if it was a light package, because the dog would come with me and he was a good dog, stay, he'd wait outside the grocery store, whatever. If it was something light, like a, you know, a tube of toothpaste or something, I'd give him the bag and he would oh. carry it home and we would stop traffic. You know, you'd cross in an intersection, the dog was carrying the, the package and, uh, you know, it <laughs> gave me attention too. So that, sure, was, sure. that was very, very good. Oh, and here's one last little story before I get to my moral. Once I uh, 
went to the five and dime to get some nail polish and hand lotion for me and flea soap that my parents had said he needs a bath get, sure. get some flea yeah. soap i gave him the package we walked home together it was warm san francisco day no fog so my mother had both the front and the back door open the dog walked through the front door out the back door i stopped to talk to my mom for a minute or two the dog reappeared with a dirty nose he had buried the package because it had the flea soap in it and we never <laughs> found it we never he knew a bath was coming yeah he knew a bath was coming not only that but uh you know it was a city backyard it was not yeah. big and yet we could never find the loose dirt we never found i i think to this day someone someday is gonna unbury this nail polish and hand lotion and wonder what was going on but anyway the moral to the story is because we all wondered what happened. It wasn't like we were giving him doggy vitamins or had yeah. changed his diet. And it wasn't like we had moved to uh, Arizona for a change of climate. We had literally <laughs> driven across the Golden Gate Bridge. That's all the move was. Yeah. I just wonder if it's, it's a, it was a lesson about change. You know, in the old days, doctors used to use as therapy you know go by go to the seashore if you sure, want to sure. get well go or go to europe if you can afford it and i'm not just talking about change of place but i think sometimes we are afraid of change and we we resist change yeah. and yet when you think about it it probably most of the time is is good for us they talk yeah. about repotting the plant and maybe you feel sometimes uh, in your work as a storyteller, I sometimes think, oh, don't I have enough now? Can't I just rest on my laurels, mm. you know, for a while yeah. and take it easy? And doing that is okay for a little while, but really what fuels us is new ideas, yeah. new activity, new work. That's what replenishes us. And somehow that complete change for the dog just, you know, changed his life. He got another over two years in oh, before wow. he finally came down with something and and uh, left us but it was a it was a a beautiful thing to witness so <laughs> a rejuvenation of a dog and a, and a lesson about uh, adapting to change Pippa what a pleasure to have you with us today oh thank you for letting me talk about dadwood <laughs> <laughs> great stories do come into our lives in so many ways and Pet stories are among those great ways. Such a pleasure to chat with Pippa White. We'll be sure to have her back. Jim Weiss coming up with a story called Chanticleer the Rooster. Don't miss it. I'm Sam Payne. You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne. It's such a pleasure for me to be with you on today's episode of The Appleseed. It's mostly bird stories today, except, of course, that great conversation with Pippa White about dogs. But up next, we've got a story called Chanticleer the Rooster. It's told for you by Jim Weiss from a collection of animal stories that Jim tells so well. Here's Jim on The Appleseed. This next story was told by an English writer named Geoffrey Chaucer in the late 1300s, which is a long, long time ago. Now, Chaucer was a good friend of the King of England and was a favorite of the kings at the royal court. But as important a man as he was in his day, he was best known as the greatest poet and storyteller of his age. 
and that is why we remember him. This is one of his stories from a book called The Canterbury Tales, and it's the story of Chanticleer. Long ago in the countryside of France, there was a peaceful, beautiful farm, and on that farm there lived a magnificent, a wonderful, a handsome rooster. That is, he was handsome if you like roosters. The name of this noble bird was Chanticleer, and it was Chanticleer who was king of the farmyard. All day long he strutted back and forth, and he strutted up and down, looking here and looking there, and whenever he found a piece of corn, he would cluck, 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 and call over his seven wives and all the little baby chickens so that they might eat it. And he put his head into the stable to consult with the horses and walked out to the meadow to consult with the cows. And the pigs and the goats knew him too. But, as with all roosters, Chanticleer had one job that was most important of all. First thing in the day, when the sun was just beginning to kiss the tops of the trees over in the forest, Chanticleer would be out in the farmyard before anyone else. He would flap his wings a few times, dig his claws into the dirt of the farmyard, and then he would let loose with a magnificent And then, just in case anyone might have missed it, he'd do it again. Chanticleer was so reliable, people in the farm didn't even need a watch or a clock, but they always knew what time it was in the morning. Now each day, when Chanticleer was done waking up all the folks on the farm, he would go to see his seven wives in the henhouse. His favorite wife, the wife whom he had loved since they had both hatched from eggs, was Dame Petalote. She was a beautiful hen, if you go for that sort of thing, and Chanticleer and Pertolote loved each other very dearly. He would come to her every morning, and they would talk about the day. But one morning, as Chanticleer climbed the ramp into the henhouse and perched next to her, he looked very bad. Husband, said Dame Pertolote, what is wrong with you? Are you ill? Well, said Chanticleer, I had a difficult night last night. Really? Tell me about it. I had a terrible dream, said Chanticleer. A terrible dream? Well, you must tell me about your dream at once. Perhaps I can explain it to you. Sometimes they say dreams have meanings. Well, said Chanticleer, I was out walking in the farmyard and it was a peaceful scene, in my dream, that is, when suddenly I saw a ferocious beast. I'd never seen anything like it before, Petalote. Why, it had pointy ears with black tips and, and a bushy tail, and except for the points of the ears, it was orange all over. But what I remember most, my dear, what I remember most were the ferocious beast's sharp, 
pointy teeth, and in my dreams somehow I knew that this creature was about to attack me and eat me. Oh, husband, what a dreadful dream you've had. Yes, you can see why I had trouble getting back to sleep afterwards. But don't worry, Chanticleer, I'm sure it means nothing whatsoever. Why, it's probably just something you ate. You'd better go out and peck out some good worms from the farmyard today, and you'll feel much better. Oh, I don't know, Petalote. It seems to me that sometimes dreams have a meaning. At least some of the wisest people say so. Nonsense, stuff and nonsense, said the hen. I wouldn't give it another thought. It's just your tummy. Chanticleer left the hen house, and out into the farmyard he went. But what he did not know was that at that very moment he was being watched by a fox. Now the fox had managed to break through the hedge the night before in the darkness, and now he was hiding behind a pile of cabbages at the edge of the farmyard, and he watched Chanticleer the rooster walking up and down, and the fox felt very, very hungry. How can I get this rooster for myself, thought the fox. How can I trick him? Hmm, I have it. And he stepped out from behind the pile of cabbages. Chanticleer happened to turn at that moment, and there to his horror was the creature of his nightmare, the orange creature with the sharp teeth. He froze in terror. But before he could do anything or say anything, a call for help, the fox stepped forward and bowed politely. Excuse me, sir. Could you direct me, please, to the farmyard of that famous rooster, Monsieur Chanticleer? That, that famous rooster? Monsieur Chanticleer, repeated the bird. Oh, yes, he is the most famous rooster in all the countryside of France. Really, said Chanticleer, forgetting how afraid he had been a moment before. Tell me. Well, everyone knows that he is the handsomest bird of all, and that is the least of his accomplishments. Well, said Chanticleer, puffing out his chest, it just so happens that I am Monsieur Chanticleer. Oh, of course, said the fox, clapping together his front paws. I should have known it at once. Never have I seen a bird with such magnificent plumage. Oh, the red of your comb. Oh, the gold of your beak. Oh, the beautiful feathers on your tail. And Chanticleer strutted around slowly in a circle to show himself off even better. Do you really think so? Do you really think I am that handsome? Said Chanticleer, who hoped the fox would say yes. And of course the fox did. Oh, indeed, indeed, sir. You are the best-looking rooster I have ever had the pleasure of viewing. Oh, it's been worth my long journey here. Why, thank you. But I wonder if I am not asking too much. I got here just a little late. I was still a half a mile away when I heard your magnificent cock-a-doodle-doo welcoming the morning sun. And alas, that is what I really came to hear, for I understand that your voice is like the morning sun itself. 
It is so bright and clear. Well, said Chanticleer, well, do you think you could, do you, well, I hardly dare ask, but would you mind repeating your cock-a-doodle-doo for me? I'd be delighted, said Chanticleer, who by now was so flattered he would have done almost anything for the fox. Ah, uh, just uh, stand back there. It does get very loud. And Chanticleer dug in his heels and flapped his wings a few times and let loose with another... Oh, delightful, delightful, yelled the fox, and he clapped his hands together. Never have I heard such a wonderful cock-a-doodle-doo, except once, of course. Once? Really, said Chanticleer? Where have you heard such a cock-a-doodle-doo as this? Oh, well, I'm sure it won't bother you, Monsieur Chanticleer. It was your father, your own father, who was the greatest rooster-singer of them all. You knew my father? Intimately. I had him to dinner once. Now what the fox did not say was that he had had Chanticleer's father for dinner. Just before your father left me, he gave me his secret, the secret of his wonderful cock-a-doodle-doo. Really, said Chanticleer, and he looked around to make sure no one else was nearby. Do you, uh, do you think... You could tell me the secret? And the fox said, Well, I promised not to, but then again, then again you are his own son. I'm sure he would not mind my telling you. What your father used to do is this. Just before he would crow, he would dig his feet in as you do, but then here is what he did differently. He closed his eyes tightly, so that he might concentrate, and then he stretched his neck out as far as it would go. He said it helped the tone. It helps the tone, eh? said Chanticleer. Well, well, I could try it. Do you think you could, do you think you could give me a few pointers? Oh, indeed I could, said the fox. You go ahead and try it, and I'll tell you if you are doing it as your father did it. All right, now I dig my feet in uh, like this. Wonderful, wonderful sofa. And I, uh, I close my eyes. Tightly? Yes, tightly. And then I, uh, I stretch my neck out. Is that far enough? Not quite, said the fox, and he tiptoed closer. How's this, said Chanticleer. Perfect, said the fox. And he leaped at the rooster and grabbed him by the throat in his own jaws. And then he whirled around and rushed for the hedge of the farmyard. And Chanticleer opened his eyes and realized he'd been tricked. He squawked. But by now, they were through the hedge. However, Chanticleer's cries had been heard. The hens looked up. The fox has Chanticleer. The fox has Chanticleer. The geese awoke and they said, Quack, quack, Chanticleer, quack, Chanticleer. Mmm, said all the cows looking up from the pasture. Chanticleer, the fox says Chanticleer. Mmm, cried all the horses. And the pigs oinked. Fox, Chanticleer. And everyone was making quite a racket. 
And that's when the farmer and his family rushed out of the farmhouse, and what did they see but the fox making off across the meadow with Chanticleer, and they were headed straight for the forest. And everyone knew that once Chanticleer had been taken into the trees, he would never get out again. But Chanticleer knew this also. And as everyone came chasing after him with pitchforks and clubs, all the animals shouting and snorting and stomping and running as fast as they could, and all the farmer and his family shouting to the fox, Come back! Come back! As if that would help, the fox chuckled, and Chanticleer thought, How do I get out of this one? And this is what he did. Monsieur Fox, he said. It was difficult to talk because his throat was being held so tightly. You must be a fox, that is, because no one but a fox could have come up with such a, a clever trick as this. Are you a fox? Mm-hmm, said the fox, still running with Chanticleer. Well, I have always wanted to meet a fox, although not in this way, <laughs> laughed the fox. You see, I have always heard what brilliant tricksters you foxes are. Meanwhile... They were growing nearer to the trees, and Chanticleer was getting very worried. What I w want to know, said Chanticleer, what I have never understood is, however do you crafty foxes come up with these wonderful schemes, these brilliant tricks of yours? And the fox said, well, I'll tell you. But the moment the fox opened his jaws to speak, Chanticleer leaped out and flapped up to the branches of a tree, much too high for the fox to grab him again. And the fox sat down below, hungry. Chanticleer, Monsieur Chanticleer, do come down again, and I'll be glad to explain everything to you. Oh, no, said the rooster. Oh, no, not again. I won't fall for another of your tricks. What trick? Why, I was just hurrying you home. So that you could eat me more quickly, I know. No, no, so that we might share a meal and a long day's discussion. I do not believe you, Fox. And if you turn around, you will see that the farmer is coming. If I were you, I'd get away while I could. And the fox looked, and he laughed. Well, turnabout is fair play, they say. What have you learned, Fox? What have you learned, Chanticleer? I venture to say we've learned the same lesson. Do not listen to one who flatters you in this way, for he may have other reasons for doing so. Indeed he may, said the fox, and shaking his head, he wandered off into the forest, while Chanticleer flapped down to the shoulder of the farmer and went home. Jim Weiss with the story of Chanticleer the Rooster. And we're going to wrap up today with one more bird story. You probably know the tale, The Little Red Hen. This is a bilingual version told for you by Carrie Sue Aviar, the Gaginita Roja, The Little Red Hen, here on The Appleseed. Tortitas para mamá, tortitas para papá. Tostaditas para mamá, las otras para papá. Little tortillas for mamá, little tortillas for papá. Toasted for mamá, the others for papá. 
Mmm, tortillas. Round, thin, flat, made of corn. Kind of like skinny pancakes. They've been around since the days of the Aztecs. Now children in Mexico and here still love to eat fresh hot corn tortillas. In fact, so do I. Mi suegra, my mother-in-law, Doña Cristina, me enseñó, taught me how to make tortillas hecho a mano, made by hand. And I'd like to share that with you now. It's really quite simple. All you need is some masa, cornmeal dough. You take a little bit and you roll it between the palms of your hands to form a ball. Now we need to flatten it out. Imagine that you have that ball of dough in the palm of your right hand, hand flat, straight out, facing up. Now turn your right hand over onto your left hand, kind of like clapping. Now turn your left over onto the right. We're going to start patting it back and forth, back and forth, right onto left, left onto right, a little faster, a little faster. That's it. We're making tortillas. Now stop. Remember that for later. You never know. It just might come in handy. Once there was una gallinita roja, a little red hen, who lived on a little farm in Mexico. She had lots of little pollitos, little chicks. And of course, since she lived in Mexico, her chicks didn't say peep, peep, peep. They said pew, 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 just like the nursery rhyme. Uno, dos, Tres pollitos, cuatro, cinco, seis pollitos, siete, ocho, nueve pollitos, diez pollitos son piu, piu, piu. One, two, three little chicks, four, five, six little chicks, seven, eight, nine little chicks, ten little chicks there are piu, 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 piu. Now on that farm there also lived Un perro, a dog. Dog said, whoa, 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 whoa. Of course, on the farm they also had una gata, a kitty cat. And the cat said, meow, meow. And don't forget, they had to have a pig. They had a lazy, good-for-nothing puerco who just said, oink, 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 oink. Now one day, La gallinita roja, the little red hen, was out looking for food to feed herself and all her little pollitos, her little chicks. Pew, pew, pew. As she looked around, there in the middle of the yard she found un granito de maíz, a kernel of corn. Ooh, this was good to eat. Pero ver, it is not enough, no es bastante. It will not feed all of us. And then she had an idea. Yes, I know. If I plant the corn, it can grow and it will be enough to feed everyone here on the farm. So that's what she did. She called out, ¿Quién me ayudará? Who will help me to plant the corn? But El Perro the dog just lifted his head and answered, Whoa, 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 whoa. Yo no, yo no, not I. Y la gata, the kitty cat, the pig. Yo no, yo no, not I. I'm too tired. So, la gallinita roja and all her little pollitos, her little chicks, 
pew, 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 pew. They had to do it themselves. They began to plant the corn, and then they needed something, something for it to grow. <gasps> of course, agua, water. So la gallinita roja called out, ¿Quién me ayudará? Who will help me to water the corn? But El Perro the dog just looked at her and said, Whoa, 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 whoa. Yo no, yo no, not I. And the cat, La Gata, Meow, meow, yo no, yo no, not I. Why, I might break a nail. El Puerco the pig, Yo no, yo no, not I. I'm too tired. So, La Gallinita Roja and all her little pollitos, her little chicks, pew, 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 they had to do it themselves. They went out and they began to water that corn. Well, you know what happens when you water seeds? They begin to grow. And the corn did. It grew, shh, and grew, shh, and grew, shh, until it was tall and ripe and ready to cut and grind into flour. Now, La Gallinita Roja called out, ¿Quién me ayudará? Who will help me to cut and grind the corn? But El Perro the dog just answered, Whoa, 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 yo no. Yo no, not I. Y la gata de kitty cat? Meow, meow. Yo no, yo no, not I. Why, I might break a nail. El puerco the pig? Ay, 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 ay. Yo no, yo no, not I. I'm too tired. So... La gallinita roja and all her little pollitos, her little chicks, pew, 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 had to do it themselves. They chopped down that corn. Chop, 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 chop. And they began to grind it. And un metate, a flat stone with a stone rolling pin used to grind corn. Grind, grind, grind. Then la gallinita roja started making tortillas. She took the masa, the corn dough, started rolling it into small balls and began patting them into round, flat tortillas. She made lots and lots of tortillas, put them onto the comal, the griddle, the cook, and mm, it began to smell so good. Now, La Gallinita Roja called out, ¿Quién me ayudará? Who will help me to eat the tortillas? Well, this time, El Perro the dog, who could smell the aroma of those delicious tortillas, had a different answer. Whoa, 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 whoa. You'll see. You'll see. I will. Y la gata, the kitty cat? Meow, meow. You'll see. You'll see. I will. And, of course, El Puerco the pig? You'll see, you'll see, I will. <laughs> I'm never too tired to eat. Ah, pero la gallinita roja, the little red hen, said, Eh, 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 no tan rápido, no so fast. Only those who helped us to grow the corn may enjoy them. And la gallinita roja and all her little pollitos, pew, 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 
did. They ate those tortillas, mmm, and they were delicious. Now, remember how we made the tortillas in the beginning? It was very simple. You take the masa, the cornmeal dough, and roll it between your hands. Now, take that ball of dough, put it in the palm of your right hand, flat out, looking up. Then take the right hand and place it onto your left, like a clap. Take your left hand and flip it over onto the right. Now start patting it back and forth. Faster, faster, left onto right, right onto the left. Oh, I thank you for all your applause. Now, I hope you've enjoyed my stories. And as the saying goes, colorín colorado, este cuento se ha acabado. Three, two, one, my stories are all done, but yours are just beginning. Just beginning indeed. Such a pleasure to bring you stories from Carrie Sue Aviar, from Jim Weiss, and Susan Strauss. I'm Sam Payne, and I can't wait to be with you again on The Appleseed. Thanks for joining us for an hour of stories, music, and conversation made for you and your family and brought to you by The Appleseed. The show is a production of BYU Radio. We'll see you next time.